much of British history, the story of royals is the story of men. The crown, after all, was supposed to pass from father to son. Second sons, or spares, were important in case anything happened to the first son. Wives and daughters? Well, wives were there to bear and raise the sons. Daughters were useful as pawns in international diplomacy and often the means to enlarging a territory or a fortune. It's tempting, therefore, to think of mothers and grandmothers as simply a supporting caste. They're to bear, nurture, and encourage sons and support their husbands. But these women were often power brokers on their own, eager to shape and able to influence history. This month, during which we celebrate Mother's Day here in the U.S., we'll be celebrating mothers and grandmothers on the podcast. Of course, we will commemorate the tragic execution of Anne Boleyn this month, considering how important May 19th was to both Anne and Elizabeth. We'll also look at the other mothers, as well as grandmothers, before and after Anne Boleyn. It's often said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And in royal history, that is often so true. Through centuries of male-only and then male-dominated rule of England and Britain, the men who took the throne didn't come out of nowhere. The mothers and grandmothers may have worked primarily behind the scenes, but they made their presence and influence known. This week, we'll be looking at six of the women who came to England and became game changers. Emma of Normandy, Eleanor of Aquitaine, Isabella of France, Henrietta Maria of France, Mary of Modena, and Mary of Tech. In their own way, each of these women had an extraordinary and lasting impact on her son, or in some cases, sons, and his rule. Emma of Normandy. Emma Emma of Normandy arrived in England at age 12, daughter of Richard of Normandy and Gunnar of Denmark. Emma's Viking heritage was seen as a way to preserve England from ongoing Viking attacks. She married Ethelred, who was 20 years her senior and had 10 children already, making it unlikely at that point that Emma's children would ever come to the throne. Even at her young age, she quickly became involved in her husband's court. She received land and began building projects, especially around Winchester. She had two sons, Edward and Alfred, and a daughter, Godgifu, which strengthened her position. Unfortunately, Ethelred continued fighting against the Danes, leading to a Viking invasion of England in 1013. King Sven took control, so Emma and her children fled to Normandy to take refuge with her father. After Sven's death, Emma and Ethelred retook control of England. Ethelred died in 1016, and his eldest son from his first marriage, Edmund Ironside, took the throne, even though Emma advocated for her son, Edward. Sven's son, Knut, invaded England and defeated Edmund Ironside. Their agreement to split the kingdom ended with Edmund's death. By the end of 1016, Knut was king of all of England. Emma maintained a friendly relationship with the new regime and married Knut in 1017. Queen of England again, now with the enemy regime, 
Emma became an important part of Canute's government. She advised the king and is shown in the only surviving manuscript image of Canute, where they stand on either side of the new minster at Winchester. She and Canute had two children, Harth Canute and Gunhild. When Canute died in 1035, Emma continued to influence politics. She worked to make sure one of her sons, either Canute's son Harth Canute or Ethelred's son Edward, became the next king. But the throne went to Canute's son with his first wife, Harold Harefoot. Ultimately, Harth Canute ruled Denmark while Harold ruled England. Then they ruled England jointly from 1035 to 1037, after which Harth Canute was driven into exile. When Harold Harefoot died in 1040, Harth Canute became king, and Emma is thought to have arranged for his half brother Edward to become joint ruler. Harth Canute died in 1042, and Edward, who became known as Edward the Confessor, became King of England. He seems to have resented his mother's relationship with Canute and those children. He deprived Emma of her wealth and her position at court. Emma's political alliances and influence helped shape the monarchy. She also established a family relationship between the Dukes of Normandy and the Anglo-Saxon Kings of England, which gave the Normans a hereditary claim to the English throne. Emma was involved and influential on both sides of the English Channel and throughout Europe. Less than 15 years after her death, William of Normandy set out for England. His claim to the throne was based, in part, on Emma and her influence. Eleanor of Aquitaine, one of my favorites. Eleanor of Aquitaine, like Emma of Normandy, came to the throne more than once. Unlike Emma, Eleanor became Queen of France and then Queen of England. Her two husbands became enemies, as did their heirs. It was complicated. Although she wasn't responsible for all of it, Eleanor's decisions and actions contributed significantly to the royal families of France and England in the 12th century. Eleanor was raised in an environment of literature, philosophy, art, and languages, as well as court politics. After the death of her father, she became Duchess of Aquitaine, a major landholder, and the ward of the King of France. The king quickly betrothed her to his son and brought her to Paris. Louis and Eleanor were married in July 1137, and within months, they became King and Queen of France. Louis VII made a series of bad decisions and faced increasing criticism from his people and the Pope. He decided to go on a crusade, and Eleanor decided to go with him. She spent the years 1147 to 1149 traveling the world with her husband. At the court of her uncle, Raymond of Poitiers at Antioch, trouble between the royal couple came to a head. Eleanor was happy in the luxurious court and supported her uncle's crusade to attack Aleppo, but Louis was determined to push on toward Jerusalem and forced Eleanor to accompany him. The crusade turned out to be a failure, as did the marriage. Disappointed in life with Louis, Eleanor pressed for an annulment. Louis resisted for a while, but eventually the lack of a male heir was persuasive, and the annulment was granted on grounds of consanguinity. Within just two months, Eleanor was married again, this time to Henry of Anjou, who was 11 years her junior and more closely related to her than Louis had been. 
the speed with which the marriage was arranged and carried out raised the possibility that perhaps she had been working on it before her annulment was final. In any case, Henry was heir to the English throne, and two years after their marriage, Eleanor was crowned again queen consort, this time of England. Eleanor's second marriage was full of drama and important milestones. The couple had eight children together by 1166, including four surviving sons. In 1167, Eleanor moved her household to Poitiers. It was here that the legend began of Eleanor and possibly her daughter holding courts of love. Along with her daughter Marie, the story goes, Eleanor leaned back into her childhood life with literature, poetry, music, and established these in her court. The focus was chivalry and courtly love, and the legend outlives Eleanor's actual time in Poitiers. In 1173, young Henry, so-called to distinguish him from his father, King Henry II, came to France, purportedly to plot a coup against his father. Eleanor is thought to have helped, or at least supported, her sons as they combined to join forces against their father and fight for the throne. The king prevailed. He forgave his sons, but not his wife. Eleanor spent the final 16 years of Henry II's life imprisoned in a variety of English strongholds. When young Henry, the heir to the throne, died in 1183, he begged his father to forgive and release Eleanor. The king didn't go that far, but he did allow her to rejoin the royal household on occasion, such as the Christmas court, and resume some of her duties as queen. It was after Henry II's death in 1189 that Eleanor really came into her own. Richard, her favorite son, took the throne on his father's death. One of his very first acts was to release Eleanor for prison and make her his regent while he participated in the Third Crusade. Eleanor had a a large and strong network across the kingdom, and she successfully promoted Richard's policies and his reputation. He became known as Richard the Lionheart, in part because of her efforts to establish, or possibly embellish, his kingly reputation. When he was captured on his way home from the crusade, Eleanor herself raised the funds for his ransom and traveled to deliver it. She was with him when he died in 1199. Eleanor then supported her son John's claims to the throne and participated on his side in the rebellion of her grandson Arthur. However, she seems to have recognized John's limitations, and she was not as involved in his reign as she had been in Richard's. As she approached her 80th year, something practically unheard of at the time, she retired from court, and she died in 1203. Isabella of France Our first two royal mothers promoted and supported their son's claims to the throne. Isabella of France took this to a whole new level. She came from France in 1308 to marry Edward II when she was just 12 years old and was crowned queen consort a month after her wedding. At such a young age, Isabel wasn't involved in English politics initially, nor was she of much interest to her husband, who had been infatuated with Piers Gaveston for years. Gaveston was killed by English barons who resented his influence with the king in 1312 by which time Isabella was pregnant. Her son, Edward, was born in November 1312. 
After that, the marriage between Isabella and Edward seemed to significantly improve for a time. But that changed when the king found a powerful new favorite, Hugh Dispenser. Isabella hated Dispenser, who reduced her influence and presence at court. Edward was drawn away from his wife, and in 1324, he went to war against her brother, Charles IV of France, and began to treat Isabella like an enemy. In March 1325, the king sent his wife to France to negotiate a peace treaty. Edward, King Edward sent his son, Prince Edward, to France on his behalf a few months later. Isabella seized on this opportunity. With the heir alongside her in France, she gave King Edward an ultimatum. Get rid of Dispenser. The king refused. The next year, having betrothed her son to the daughter of the Count of Henault to secure cash and an army, Isabella invaded England. The king's support collapsed quickly. Hugh Dispenser was captured and executed in a creative and, quite frankly, gross way. Parliament decided the king must abdicate in favor of his 14-year-old son. Edward III began his reign the 25th of January, 1327, with Isabella and Roger Mortimer effectively ruling the country. It's not exactly clear what Isabella's relationship with Mortimer was, but let's just say he was an essential partner in her efforts to overthrow her husband and take control. Edward III became tired of being controlled by his mother and her favorite, so he launched a successful coup and gained full control in 1330. Mortimer was captured and hanged, and Isabella was stripped of much of her income. She lived independently and traveled around the country for nearly 30 more years. She entertained frequently and spent lavishly on clothes and jewels. When she died in 1358, she was buried at Greyfriars in London. Although she had ended her life as a more typical queen mother, she had, in fact, invaded her country to put her son on the throne. Henrietta Maria of France Henrietta Maria of France married Charles I, the second Stuart King of England, in 1625. She spoke little English and was Catholic, making her very unpopular in England. The king and queen had eight children, including sons Charles and James. Henrietta Maria invited Antony van Dyck to come to court and paint several portraits of the royal couple. Van Dyck's portraits captured the sense of divine right to rule that Charles and Henrietta Maria believed in so completely. The queen brought the French fashion to the English court. She was also interested in music and court masks, which she often performed in herself. Quite a scandal. As time went on, Henrietta Maria began to expand her influence to promote Catholicism. In 1632, she began to build a new Catholic chapel at Somerset House. The Protestant community was alarmed by the grand ceremony marking the opening of the chapel in 1636. This encouraged English Catholics to move about more openly, and they were welcome at court. Public sentiment began to coalesce against the queen. The king was also... coming under pressure because he kept failing at his wars. He dissolved Parliament three times and was determined to raise money on his own. As a result, Henrietta Maria began reaching out to Catholics in England and abroad, raising funds from them. That gave them a bit of influence at court. In 1641, Charles was forced to call another Parliament, which attempted to move against the Queen. 
In return, the king had five members arrested, or so he thought. It was king versus parliament. In August 1642, the royal standard was raised and the Civil War began. Henry and Maria went to The Hague during the Civil War at the beginning and continued to raise funds for the royalist cause. She also attempted to enlist the support of Prince Frederick Henry of Orange and King Christian IV of Denmark. She returned to England for a while, but as the king's position weakened, Henrietta went back to France and established a royalist court there. She was devastated to learn of the execution of her husband in 1649. She was now queen mother of the young King Charles II, who held an alternate court in France. In 1660, Charles was invited back to London and restored to the throne. Henrietta Maria returned to England and moved into Somerset House. She spent time in France and England, eventually settling in France in 1665. She died there in 1669 and was buried at the Royal Basilica of Saint-Denis. She had been a huge support to her husband and had kept the Stuart dynasty viable through her royal court in France. A strong advocate for the Stuarts, she supported the dynasty and helped both of her sons take the throne. Henrietta Henrietta Maria's daughter-in-law was Mary of Modena, another French Catholic princess. Mary of Modena. Mary of Modena grew up in the French court of King Louis XIV and was selected to be the bride of James, Duke of York, brother and heir of King Charles II. James and Mary were married by proxy on the 30th of September, 1673, and didn't meet for a couple of months. It was not love at first sight when they did meet. Reportedly, Mary burst into tears when she saw her husband for the first time. However, eventually they learned to get along, despite the Duke's frequent infidelities. Mary's Catholicism made her very unpopular. When James refused to take the Test Act of 1673, which was designed to prevent Catholics from holding any powerful office, he was revealed to be a Catholic as well. In 1678, the so-called Popish Plot broke out, with Mary's secretary accused of trying to overthrow the king and put her husband on the throne. James and Mary headed to Belgium in exile. Their fortunes changed a few years later. In February 1685, Charles II died and James and Mary became king and queen of England. Their coronation was held together the following April 23rd. This was the first full-length joint coronation since Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon in 1509. The queen became pregnant again in 1687, setting off one of the strangest scandals of the Stuart reign. Based on her history of miscarriages, people assumed the queen would not be able to bear a healthy son. She did, and this represented a great threat to Protestant power. A son would take precedence over James's two Protestant daughters, whom everyone had assumed would eventually take the throne and return the crown to Protestantism. Thus emerged the rumor of the warming pan baby, which claimed that the queen had once again miscarried and a replacement baby had been smuggled into her room 
in a warming pan. Even though there had been witnesses to the birth of the baby, and even though the size of a warming pan made it impossible to use it to smuggle in a baby, the rumor grew and was widely accepted by Protestants. The child was christened Prince James Francis Edward. This triggered the Protestant Parliament's decision to invite William of Orange and his wife, who was James's eldest daughter and the previous heir, to invade England and take the throne. James was devastated that both of his daughters turned against him. He had sent his wife and baby son to France for safety, and he decided to flee the country and join them there. William and Mary accepted the throne vacated by James II in the so-called Glorious Revolution of 1688. Mary of Medina became popular in the French court and developed a friendship with King Louis XIV. After James II died in 1701, the French king recognized James Francis Edward as King of England with Mary as regent. Mary issued a manifesto outlining the claim of her son to the throne. Although this was ignored in England, Mary reached a compromise with the Scottish Confederate lords. When William III died in 1702, Lord Lovett of Scotland declared James Francis Edward the King of England. It didn't take hold, but still. The once queen died on the 7th of May, 1718, and was buried alongside the nuns. Despite her quiet end, she made the ongoing Jacobite claim to the throne possible, not only for the old pretender, as James Francis Edward was known, but also for his son, Bonnie Prince Charlie. Mary of Teck Mary of Teck was the final foreign princess to become Queen Consort of Britain and then Queen Mother of a British King. Officially Princess of Teck, she was actually born and raised in the United Kingdom. Victoria Mary Augusta Louise Olga Pauline Claudine Agnes was a royal of the Germanic state of Teck. She was first cousin once removed of Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria was fond of her and chose her as the bride for the grandson, Prince Albert Victor. Their engagement lasted just six weeks before the prince died from the influenza pandemic of 1891. His younger brother now moved into the line of succession, and Victoria still wanted Mary as a royal bride. So George proposed in 1893, and Mary accepted. They were married later that year. George became Prince of Wales, and Mary became Princess of Wales when George's father Edward took the throne in 1901 upon the death of Queen Victoria. When Edward VII died in 1910, George took the throne as King George V, and Mary became the Queen Consort. Mary had a reverence for the royal family and the royal collection. She was determined to restore the collection and retrieve all those pieces that had been given away or sold out of the collection. She collected miniatures, figurines, and gemstones, including Fabergé eggs. She also commissioned the Queen Mary's Dollhouse, which included contributions from more than a thousand artists and craftsmen of the early 20th century. During World War I, 
Queen Mary instituted an austerity drive and rationing at Buckingham Palace. She was a great support to the king during the war and throughout his reign. She and the king had six children, including sons Edward, known in the family as David, and George, known in the family as Bertie. After a 25-year marriage, George V died the 20th of January, 1936. Having supported her husband and the royal family through the war, Mary would now be faced with helping the monarchy weather a very different challenge. David took the throne as King Edward VIII after his father died. He had been very popular as Prince of Wales, and the people looked forward to his reign. The problem was the woman he wanted to share that reign with, Wallace Simpson, a divorced woman with a questionable reputation. She was not acceptable to traditionalists such as Queen Mary. Church and government leaders agreed with Queen Mary, and eventually King Edward VIII was forced to make a choice, the crown or Wallace. He abdicated the throne in December 1936, declaring he was unable to bear the burdens of being king without the support of, quote, the woman I love. In the resulting chaos, Queen Mary was firm in her support of the new king, George VI, and his family. She appeared on the balcony with King George, Queen Elizabeth, and the two young princesses, Elizabeth and Margaret, after the coronation. She supported the two young princesses and nurtured Elizabeth, the new heir to the throne. As the country was plunged into another world war, Queen Mary remained an example of stability and previous victory. Queen Mary outlived her son and saw her granddaughter become Queen Elizabeth II. She died just 10 weeks before the coronation. Queen Mary represented an extraordinary thread through the monarchy, from the reign of Queen Victoria to the reign of Elizabeth II. From Emma of Normandy to Mary of Tech, several queen consorts have shaped the English and British monarchy through the reigns of their husbands and their sons and granddaughter. We'll continue to look at royal mothers and grandmothers in the weeks ahead. I hope you'll join us. Thank you for joining us for this discussion of mothers and grandmothers of British royal history. I hope you are enjoying your mom and grandma this month. Please take a moment to subscribe, like, rate, and share the podcast with a friend. Thank you, thank you, and I'd love to hear from you. Let's keep shaking up history together. Thank you.